you're tuning in to an episode from Adventure Emerge 2021, the number one entrepreneurship conference for students and researchers worldwide. This episode is brought to you by our event sponsors, Edinburgh Innovations and Vonage. Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining. We're back now for an incredible panel on building revolutionary startups while at university. And with that, I'll hand over to the host, Joel Alexander. I'm super excited for this one. Yeah, guys, welcome. Good morning. I hope you're all sort of warmed up, had your and sort of ready to go. It's super nice and super overwhelming to be in a room full of hardworking and really prominent young entrepreneurs um, across the UK and I guess like the tackling global problems. So all across the globe, right? So it's my pleasure to introduce Hannah, Jolion and Kyle. I'm going to let you guys uh, take away, take it away with your own intros because I don't think I'm going to be able to do justice to the amount of stuff that each of you have done. Everything from YCOM to Forbes 30 and 30 to several million dollar raises and just generally being amazing people all around. I've always looked to quite a few of you in terms of like you know, the way you approach brand building and like the way you approach sort of um, building a company as a whole, I think it's super inspiring and everyone would love to hear uh, more about that. So yeah, uh, whoever wants to go first, you know, jump in and like, let's go from there. Sure. I mean, I'm happy to, to, to jump straight in, but thank you for the intro, Joel and Zara. Again, I think it's a fantastic event. So thank you for running it. But about myself, so my name's Ahana and I'm the founder and CEO of Clear, which is an integrated social commerce app for skincare. And sort of high level story is that we were a team of physics undergraduate students at Imperial College London. And we were accepted to Y Combinator halfway through our final year of our degrees. So that was in December 2020. And I've now been working on Clear full time for almost a year. Amazing. I'll pass it on to Kyle. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, really great to be part of an event that actually focuses on university venture. I think it's something that's been missing for a long time in the UK ecosystem. Myself, personally, I am an aerospace engineer by training. So I worked for several years at NASA, then SpaceX, which was a great experience. Went to do a PhD at Oxford and then started a laundry company. So not the typical route to market that you would expect, but everything that we're doing here at Oxwash is trying to give a life support system to clothes, make them last longer and stop the ridiculous amount of waste in the washing of clothes and textiles globally. So more than happy to talk about that. Our journey today, raising questions, things like that. Thanks for having me. And I guess I'm rounding out the scientists. My name is Julian Martin, biochemist by training, now sort of geneticist. And my company is PetMedics. We are developing new veterinary medicines based on the cutting edge of what exists in the human. PetMedics was spun out of my PhD at the University of Cambridge. It was, we're now, we've been going for a couple of years. I've raised $50 million across a few venture rounds and have 40 plus people in the company. So we can talk about what it was like to go from, you know, it just being a PhD, it just being an idea through to now a proper biotech company yeah amazing so obviously some phenomenal introductions if you guys want to drop the links to your companies like websites and stuff in the chat like feel free to do so and to everyone else that's watching on questions and uh, answers like you know please feel free to drop any questions you have throughout throughout the session like you know we'll take them as they come 
and incorporate them into the conversation as much as possible. So yeah, let, let's just like, you know, I, I should probably introduce myself too. So yeah, I'm Joel, um, I'm the founder and CEO of Crowdpad. We are a tokenized community building tool for creators, basically figuring out how internet communities with a shared bank account can sort of operate and bring the next sort of billion users from web two to web three. And we're part of the OnDeck Accelerator program. So that's a little bit about us in the context of, yeah, I guess this sort of like the basic thing of how you guys got into entrepreneurship, like, you know, just, just starting out in universities that we go to, I, I think like most of us have pretty academic backgrounds or our universities are known for academic things. So how do you make that leap into entrepreneurship when you don't exactly have like the biggest role models per se into those fields within your universities? It's not like, like, you know, the Stanford of the world where like, you know, everyone goes in, everyone drops out and then starts building a country or anything like that. So yeah, uh, talk to me a little bit about that, that first leap that you make into entrepreneurship and why it happened. I'm happy to go first. The, there's a certain element of it that was dumb luck and many founders I've spoken to have had similar points. You know, the stuff that we've worked hard on, the stuff that we've done deliberately and the stuff that was just right place, right time. So the first startup that I got involved with, was called it's a really great social enterprise, helping with sort of patient ID in parts of the, in uh, broad parts of the world in developing countries. I happened to be around at a friend's house for dinner one night. His flatmate came in and said, oh, I've written these 200 word pitches for a competition. Do you think option A or B is better? My fr my friend was busy and I was like, well, I'll take a look at them for you. And the guy was A, very polite and B, I was in his house. So what was he going to do? And that's how I ended up meeting Toby Norman, the, the CEO of uh, Simprints and got involved with it from then on in. So the advice I would have to people listening into this panel is keep your eyes open for opportunities. You never know when they might come up. Absolutely. to uh, to sort of just echo that it's it really is all about keeping yourself open to opportunities i think for me i'd always known that i wanted some kind of impactful career and i know that's a, a very loose term and when i started my physics degree in honesty that was because i wanted to do a phd and i wanted to have that impact through academia but unlike my fabulous co-panelists as soon as i got there i very quickly realized a phd was not the right uh, route for me. So then it became a question of, well, okay, well, given my skill set, what can I do? And so I tried software engineering internships, I tried interning in finance. But one day on LinkedIn in my second year of university, a guy called DMs me just saying, I've started a company, it's in the student graduate recruitment space. I see that you like going to all these networking events at the banks and the, the tech companies. And I need people to get employers onto this platform. And I want to bring this student graduate recruitment platform to London universities. And I didn't know the guy wasn't getting paid, didn't get equity. It just sounded like a fun project. And I just thought, why not? Let, let's give it a go. And that was really my first insight into what entrepreneurship was and actually having to problem solve. And, you know, there's no playbook and just figure things out. But it really still didn't hit me that I could start my career as an entrepreneur. I think especially in the UK, it's really not the done thing straight out of university to, to start your career as an entrepreneur. So again, talking about uh, dumb luck, I applied to YC when I had been working on an idea for a week. My co-founders laughed at me. There was a, like a challenge to convince them to even film the, the video for the application. We got in. I mean, there's a, there's a whole story there, but we weren't expecting it at all. But it was just putting ourselves out there, trying. And, and for reference, we were pretty much rejected from every single 
university-based startup accelerator from all the smaller competitions the very first win we had as a company was yc and that allowed me to start my career in the way that i did and i'm so grateful for that but it wouldn't have happened if we if we didn't apply or if i didn't just respond to that random message one day on linkedin so so absolutely i think to tech or uh, jolly said it's it's really about just taking opportunities when they come and, and being open-minded I think that's like goes to the notion of sort of like not self-rejecting yourself, like, you know, into things. I, I think a lot of people think that, oh, this is not possible. It's not possible. And just write themselves off before giving themselves a chance. So, yeah, that's super important to touch upon. Yeah. Okay. Just to pick up on a very small point that both Hannes and my stories, it sounds like the first companies we got involved with weren't our idea. One, one what we wanted to do long term, one this, that and the other, but it gave us the experience and the skills to help us do what we wanted to do. So if you don't necessarily know you know, if there's an opportunity that comes along that isn't necessarily what you want to do forever, but it could help you get there, look into it. It's a tough act to follow because I completely agree with all the points. I think for me, I'm obsessed with problem solving. Um, I went into academia, right? That's you go deeper and deeper and deeper into a problem. Usually, typically in science, that's around either blue sky research, just into how do things work or applied science. And I got frustrated in my PhD at Oxford, that the work we were doing in genetic modification, basically getting crop plants to self-fertilize and stop throwing nitrogen and phosphates at them, was working inside the lab, worked inside the greenhouse. You go to use it in the third world to try and support food starvation, and the big corporates and structures of the world say, no, that's not going to happen. One, it's genetically modified crops, and two, Monsanto own this part of the world completely. So I was just super frustrated that my research couldn't be commercialized for that reason. Started Oxwash, if I'm honest, as a bit of a side hustle, just to upskill myself in building product, coding, marketing, raising, finance, leading a team, all of the stuff that when you're in the academic ladder, you just don't get skills in. Luckily, academia did give me the skill of being able to tell a good story, which of course is critical, raising early stage funding as well as a team around the mission. And I think that there is a lot to be said for that skill. But what I realized pretty quickly is that if you find a space that's really unsexy and people don't go, I'm going to go and do an MBA and then work at Amazon or delivery or whatever, and you find something unsexy like pet health, my dad and my mum were vets. I think that's sexy. A lot of people don't. They just don't want to deal with that stuff. Laundry, again, another one that everyone's like, fucking hell, what a nightmare. I have to do that again this week. And you bring a bit of common sense, a new angle, and just clarity of mission to a team. You can do really cool things. So my advice would always be go for the unsexy spaces, not the sexy ones. Yeah, the sexy ones are super crowded. BT loves Web3, Web3 represent. But like, I, I, I think that, you know, on the notion of sort of building revolutionary startups at university, right? It's easy for us to, like, I guess now sit back and kind of look back on the days when we were getting started out and balancing so much. And possibly like something that we talk a lot about within ourselves uh, as founders, sort of like, how do you make time for yourself? How do you make time for your education? And like, at the same time, your startup and your friends and your fitness. And like, there's just like so many moving parts. I think there was someone that was recently saying on Twitter, uh, you can have your friends, your startup, or, you know, your fitness. Uh, like you can have two out of three of those things. I can definitely say that the fitness thing has gone out the window for me. So how does that weigh out for you guys? Uh, what, what do you feel about that? That one, and actually I've got to jump. It's one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from my founding angel was around having that rule of three. You know, you can be 
famous, you can have family, or you can be fiscally secure, and you can't have all three and still be a sane human being. So it sounds like a similar theme. I think for me, it comes down to time management. You just have to get really good at managing your time and not having too many people reporting to you, asking you for, for help. I mean, some of the best CEOs in the world, I, I try to get as much advice from as possible, have maybe five, six direct reports and delegate everything down to people that are better than them at a particular part of venture building or business. And that's critical. Hire people that are better than you really early, pay the money because it's worth it and get a team around you that free you up to be able to do the strategy, the thinking time, you know, like actually thinking about what you're doing, why you're doing it and the future. I think it cannot be said how important making time in your day every day for that kind of headspace is. Otherwise, you'll go mad. And it's something that I've learned the hard way. But it's definitely something that's the common denominator with all successful CEOs that I've ever spoken to. So Kyle, what does that look like for you in the context of, you know, sort of blocking certain time for uh, things like, is mm. it like, are you a crazy person? You go for a run at 5am in the morning or like, <laughs> yeah, three, three days a week, I'll get up at five, I'll go run to the I gym and, and do the gym thing. But that, okay, three days a week. And now every Thursday is blocked out for me as a get shit done day when I can just sit and work on a particular facet or project of the business. Often it is just thinking, like looking at our financial models, the market trends, talking to investors and board members and discussing things that then obviously perpetuate into our strategy. And that I'm starting to do every Thursday, which I think is, it, you've got to make the time for that. Awesome. My take on work-life balance and I think being pretty early in my journey is something that I have definitely not nailed down I think the way I see it it's all about priorities and on that point I think it's important not to be harsh on yourself if you're not the most rounded person that you've ever been I think for me you know the priority for the last couple of weeks has been fundraising and that means some days I do 10 meetings a day and I don't have that thinking time that Kyle was talking about, which is so, so important, but I needed to get this done. And as such, I'm going to just go for it hundred percent and try it. And if it means that I'm not eating as well as I should, I'm not exercising. Of course, that doesn't make you as happy as you could be. But I think what can make you even more unhappy is if you start beating yourself up about it and saying like, oh, like this is bad, that is bad. I think it's okay to have times when things aren't perfectly balanced or if you're not, you know, going out with friends at weekends, you have to make these decisions, I think, when it comes to building a company and really thinking about what you want. But again, I think you sort of learn the hard way about what works for you and what doesn't. And for me, after this period of doing 10 meetings a day, going until 3 a.m. with all the U.S. investors as well, it wasn't sustainable. And I, I and I did it for two whole months. And then it got to the point where I was actually becoming unhappy. And more importantly, if I'm trying to objectively raise money and investors can tell that I want to strangle them by the end of the call, that's not going to help me achieve my end goal. So, so then it came down to thinking, okay, well, well, how can I balance this better? And now, you know, like Kyle, for me, going to the gym is so important. It's time for myself and I absolutely love it. So I have blocked time every morning just to do that, just for myself. And it lets me work later in the night. If it means I work later, I work late anyway. But it just gives me some time 
to think and just to recharge, reset and do something that's purely for me. But I think that's different for everyone. That might be socializing, that might be playing a musical instrument, whatever works for you and just keeps you mentally sane, I think is the most important thing and will help you perform at your best. But 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 it is a question of priorities. And I, I am sort of at the phase in my life and career where I don't believe that you can have everything, but I think that's that's okay. So I think one of the key words in what Ahana just said there was sustainability in terms of if you're hoping to build a business that exists over years or maybe your whole life or you know whatever you want to do with it, you need to adopt working habits that you can sustain and you need to adopt an approach to the company that you can sustain because if you're a founder, if you're a very small team, something like that, if one of you goes down because you've burnt out or anything like that, that will be far more detrimental to the company than, oh, but if I stay up another hour, I could work on the deck or I could send a few more emails or whatever it is that you're trying to do with your time. The yes, absolutely, there are crunch periods. You know, you're trying to raise cash or whatever. There will be points where you are working very, very long hours, but you need to have the discipline to go, okay, yes, for the sake of the company today, I could do a few more hours, but actually for the sake of the company tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next year, I'm going to take a holiday. This, uh, a couple of months ago, I was on holiday for a week. And for the first time in my life, I disabled work emails on my phone. Not too fair, it's a more mature company. And, you know, there are other people who can pick up the slack and stuff. But it was the first time that I actually switched off from it properly. Because, sure, you know, I'd, I'd shut my laptop. I'd stop working at whatever time. But then even if I'm just there in the evening having food or watching TV or something, you're always on as a founder. You know, I'm checking my emails, like, oh, what's happened? Or I'm thinking about a problem that, you know, was to do with work. So it is focused on being something that you can sustain long enough because at the end of the day, your health matters more than any company does. And it takes discipline. We're constantly surrounded by people that are like, oh, yeah, I get up at 5 a.m. I don't get up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym. I do in the evenings. But the, and if that works for you, awesome. But don't feel that just because everybody around you is working or saying they're working 100, 120, whatever hour weeks, that you feel the need to find the balance for you yeah absolutely i think that's so important and what you said about being switched on basically like you know 24 7 i find myself on like you know because everything in crypto happens on twitter and like you know it's constantly like just like people are posting tweet after tweet all the thought leaders on there more than linkedin even so and so it's just like constantly like you know there's something new happening every single week and you're in the deep end all the time and you're like shit like i have to like you know really get behind this otherwise it doesn't work out and then my team ends up get like last night i was coming back from the airport i think it was about 2 a.m and i'm like sending my thoughts on decentralized autonomous organizations and it was just like sorry guys i'm just thinking out loud this is for when you wake up to read everything like you know so it's just like I think very hard to compartmentalize per se, but like, I think one of the mechanisms that I've found, you know, that works really well for me is sort of hanging out with my friends that aren't in startups actually. So like, you know, just hanging out with folks that don't need to know about this world per se, and just like, you know, going out on a Friday night, like I do this with my best friend. We just like go in front of like Somerset house or whatever the hell it is, like just hang around there, gossip a little bit and like do some of that normal shit that, you know, folks get around to and then like being able to sort of like compartmentalize basically you know as much as possible like different parts because like like ahana was saying as well like you know you can it, you can be working the whole day basically so it's it, it's just 
a matter of what amount of time will you dedicate for yourself and for your well-being. And I think like, you know, if you need to take an extended coffee that goes from 30 to an hour or whatever it is, because you're having an engaging conversation and you're actually enjoying that and doing something for your well-being, like, you know, go ahead and do it. Because like, like all of you have sort of echoed, if you don't exist, your startup doesn't exist. So I, I think that's super important to keep track of. Um, yeah, tell me what it's been like. So uh, obviously, Kyle, you said that like you started this off as a side hustle. Ahana went into YC like, you know, four days off the fresh off of the idea. Jolian, like, you know, you've had this whole zero to 50 million kind of journey. Tell us about, you know, like raising the first round of institutional money, right? Like as university students, it's not like we're getting like workshops on how to do that. And there isn't a one size fits all kind of approach to do something like this. So how do you guys think about those kind of things? Then, do you want me to talk specifically about institutional money or angels or just first round that we raised at all, chat? I think like first round is important, yeah. and then we can jump into like different avenues and how we can raise different types of money. Yeah. yeah, of course. So, I completely agree. I think the first round is always the hardest, you know, to convince somebody to part with a hard earned cash if you've got it yourself from your parents' previous exit all the power to you. That's not the case for most people. So for me, I got very lucky. I had a mentor who was also an angel investor um, who I met through the college at university. Again, super lucky being at a college at University of Oxford is a really privileged position to be in. And I want to disclose that a lot of people don't have that either. So I definitely got a leg up there. But I think what was great is I just took him very seriously, was very candid, very transparent, and he kind of drip fed the cash into the idea over the first kind of eight months of the business. And we had really, really short time periods with really discrete goals with what we wanted to achieve when it came to product, product release, MVP, you know, certain amount of growth, things like that, which has distilled in, I think, the whole business that rigor around make a target when you reach it, or if you don't reach it, why not? And when it came to raising institutional investment the first time, we went through an accelerator called the Oxford Foundry, which was brilliant. You know, a lot of universities do have these accelerators. Ahana sounds like, unfortunately, you didn't manage to have this experience, but for for us, and it's their loss, obviously, like, <laughs> I mean, they're gonna think, fuck, why didn't we accept you? But we had a great experience with the Oxford Foundry, met lots of great thought leaders from, like the founders of Twitter, Google, Tim Cook at Apple, all sorts of people that you never get to meet or to mingle with in any other setting. But what we got really good at is taking those opportunities and the crack in the door, get in, have a chat about the business, get a really good data room together and just get really, really good at telling the story and backing that up with hard data that people, it just gives the impression that you know exactly what you're doing and that money into the business won't just be you know, ephemeral and evaporate back out, but will go into driving the momentum internally. I've seen, and a lot of my friends in VC often say that the two things that make them choose whether to invest in a company or not is the internal structure of the business and how it's run and the person that's in charge of that. They're the two main things that they look for. And if they can't look under the hood and see a shiny engine that's ready for petrol to really you know, go hell for leather, they're not going to invest in it. And I think that that's a lesson we learned the hard way <laughs> really early on, but now we know it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with that. Like, you know, sort of considering this as fuel to the fire rather than starting the fire itself. Like, I think it's very important to say, like my team was bootstrapped for about six months. We were just like 
working away at chipping away through ideation and stuff like that. Because the second you take money in, it's a timeline. Like then you need to hit like X amount of milestones in the next 12 months or six months or whatever it might be. And you're on the clock. So with, with respect to angel money, I think like also it's such a powerful notion for someone to believe in you to the extent that they're putting their hard earned money where their mouth is instead of going like, okay, I believe in you so much. I don't care what like it is that you end up doing pivoting in the next two to five years, whatever it might be. But I know that, you know, I believe in you. And I think angel money is one of the best ways to sort of like go after that. What do you think is sort of like the best ways to reach these people? Right. And like, who are the right folks to take angel money from as well? Because we know there are people that you shouldn't take money from as well. Say that. Yeah, of course. Sorry, I didn't want to hold the limelight. Yeah, I think what to avoid is really obvious. It's people that are just looking for the financial return in a period of time. Like, don't go for people that look like that early doors. Yes, when you get to series A, B and C, you have to. That's how you're going to raise your business. But for early stage rounds, they have to believe in your mission and the purpose of you as an individual. They don't, you know, that's not going to work. Where do you find people like that? You can find people like that on LinkedIn. You know, if you're in a particular space, let's say, for example, I'm going to engineer a synthetic biology coffee making business. I can find people that love coffee or I might find synthetic biologists and message them cold. Lots of great angel syndicates exist in Cambridge. Doyland, there's a really good one, the Cambridge Bridge Business Angels Network. There's loads in London. And often then you get to pitch to a whole room at the same time. So you do get the economies of scale there. And you can get invites through other founders and things to those syndicates, which really help. But often it's, you know, just word of mouth. Find somebody, talk to them, ask if they know anybody else. I was pretty brutal in the early days on LinkedIn, just finding people that were in our space and being like, right, you and I can have a conversation, like the CEO of Electrolux that build washing machines. And he was like, you've asked me, I guess I've got to do it now. Like People don't get messages like that very often on LinkedIn. I think people just assume they're too busy, they won't reply. So that when you do message them, they're like, oh, fuck, <laughs> let's go. Here we, here we go. And I think that's, again, to your point earlier around just back yourself and put your head in there and see what happens. Awesome. Completely agree. At some level as a founder, you're going to be part of the fundraising journey and you're going to get a lot of knockbacks. You're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs. Pick your favorite analogy. If you have signed up to attend this conference and are listening to us speak, then you're getting out there. You know, it's not something that... But there are a lot of opportunities out there. So yes, a very good track record with startups. And so there are talks and seminars and, and programs and accelerators at each of our universities, but also within other universities and also more generally, VCs run them, accelerators run them. There's all sorts of stuff you can find out. So if you're happy to do the work, then it, it's important. Often crypto, I've actually really got two skills in life, which are BS and schmoozing, which to be honest, in business development, so that's really quite helpful. But you do need to get comfortable with putting yourself out there. And it's happened to me before where, you know, I've, I've walked into a networking event where it's all men. I do appreciate that I only add diversity in the fact that I'm younger than them. And they're all, you know, they know they've known each other 30 years and they're all having a good time and stuff. And you've just got to pluck up the courage, take a deep breath and, and butt into a conversation and ask because you will be surprised, as Carl was saying, how much help someone is willing to give you, particularly if you're not trying to get something from them. You know, 
you can get advice from VCs in a general case. If you're pitching to them, they will sign up often. But if you're just there like, I'm not asking for money from you, but I've got this idea. I'd like to talk to you about something. Can I have 30 minutes of your time? If you appear engaged to somebody, at the end of the day, people love talking about themselves. So it's not that difficult. I mean, hey, what are the panelists doing here? It's it's something that people are willing to give up their time in order to help others because it feels nice to help And finally, there's also um, quite a good sense of pay it forwards. The people that helped me have already have already made it. You know, they've got their cars and houses and all of this, that and the other. There's no way I could repay them, but they were helped by people before them. And I and everybody else, you know, that I know in the startup space is trying to help the next group along. So yes, it can be scary, but back yourself and you'll be pleasantly surprised. That's amazing advice. Ahana, do you want to jump in? I, I completely agree. And I think that the core for me was just not being afraid of rejection and just going for it at all points. I mean, to, again, to put it in context, when I applied to YC, it was not with the idea that I'm working on now. It was a B2B SaaS meeting minutes automation software. So really it all centered around a, a text summarization algorithm that a team of three undergraduate physics students hadn't really nailed down. But I didn't care from day one, I reached out to, you know, I, and this was, you know, with no startup knowledge, no idea how you're supposed to communicate with VCs. I just saw that there was a similar company. I think they were called Voicea. I saw some of the investors that came into their round. I had no idea what a series A was or a series B was. Didn't know anything about how VC worked, how funding rounds worked. But I just saw the names of these people who'd been involved in a deal, I reached out to them on LinkedIn. And as sometimes VCs are, they're not the most approachable people. So I sent this whole message. I got, an, you know, the guy's email as a response. So I just sent the same message over email, didn't really know what he wanted, but he worked at M12. So he was at Microsoft's venture fund. And again, I was truly just looking to chat because I knew nothing about VC. And in hindsight, you know, I, I made some mistakes. Maybe I was a bit too naive. But in a way it worked because I did so many conversations with people in VC before I even thought about fundraising that one, I think I was a lot more confident going into it. And two, I, I learned some really valuable stuff. And at the time, I think I was still too early into it to, to fully appreciate. I mean, one very kind VC, you know, at the time we were, we were a team of four, all four of us showed up to the meeting and we'd like really planned everything out. And she sent us a small note afterwards being like, oh, you know, all four of you don't need to come for the first meeting. And we were so deeply offended by that. We were like, well, we're a team, like she doesn't get it. We're trying to show the all in one. And then the, the more you learn, the more you try different things, different styles of how you take the meetings, you learn what works for you. But I think the best way of learning in my opinion, is just by doing. I don't think there's an easier way. Also, because it's so heavily stylistic. And at the early stage, an investment, in my opinion, is, is purely on the founder. And I know that sounds quite narcissistic, having raised money, but most of the investors I've spoken to, I can guarantee it wasn't in the idea. And I know that because for some of them, the idea, we spoke about the company for five minutes, but they what they wanted to understand was you as a person. So I think, of course, as you progress, the, the further on you are, the more they're going to look into your metrics and the business. But when you're just trying to get those first checks, it's about you personally convincing someone to take a bet on you. And the only way that you're going to do that is by constantly trying and seeing what works for you and what are your strengths? What can you highlight in a conversation that makes someone have that confidence in you, have that feeling that I want to be on this person's team. And so I think that the only way of doing that is reaching out and you will get people ignoring your messages. You'll get people saying no. That first guy we met, he said he's going to give us a million dollars to drop out of university and surprise, surprise, it never happened. But, you know, 
on the flip side, I then reached out to Google Ventures, Cisco Ventures, all the other venture funds saying, hey, I'm talking to Microsoft. And it was not was not in the context of actually raising any money. But I think just having the confidence to do that and not being afraid if it doesn't work out, it is how I've approached things. And, you know, the potential upside is huge if it does, as it was for us with YC. And the downside of someone ignoring your message is, you know, you get used to it. Yeah, I think this notion of the spotlight effect, right? Like, the the notion that you think that the world revolves around you and like you know everybody's watching what if someone says no uh but in reality everyone only gives a damn about themselves and like don't care about anybody else so like don't take it to heart like you know i think the hit rate improves over time as you sort of con- you know sort of make your pitch more concise and sort of find your ways around what works best in terms of cold DMing and things like that a couple of other things that I think work are um, signaling, unfortunately. I think that like we all have been part of networks that have sort of gotten us like you know greater access to people um, who can write those checks. So in my case, it is the On Deck Catalyst program, uh, which Zara is also a part of. And like, you know, it, it's been a phenomenal experience. And like the kind of exposure you have to folks out there, like it's, it's instantly connecting you to folks from Revolut, Coinbase, Stripe, and all these great organizations who can just book a call with. And that's not like access you can normally get. So getting yourself into programs like that could be beneficial. The other piece that I find really helpful. So some of you have been on it. Some of you have, uh, I haven't, like I stopped doing the podcast, but like I had a podcast from, I want to say January last year. And I think from December 31st, I was like creating videos. And my first video was like, why I'm withdrawing all my graduate job applications, right? And surprisingly, every VC call that I go to now they've done their DD beforehand and they come in and they're like, so we watched your YouTube video. And I was like, shit, <laughs> what? But then, you know, having that portfolio of like, you know, putting yourself out there and this, this personal brand piece that you're focused in one area and that you have a commitment towards something means a lot to folks. I think Ahana, I've watched like a bunch of going like, you know, you don't have to do that, but like the reason, the, the, the way you do that, like I think creates a sense of sort of transparency and like a sense of like, you know, this is a founder I really want to get behind. And that's what matters at this stage. So I think like, it's super cool. But yeah, during my podcast, interviewed several YC founders and several folks that have raised several millions who are several steps ahead of me. And just learning a lot from their journey. I think like, it's important to think that, you know, always be the student kind of a thing instead of just have that like ability to absorb. Otherwise it just gets, you know, like we don't, as much as we'd like to think that we know a lot, like we just don't. And it's always a learning experience as a founder. So I'd like to jump into the question that we've got in the in the comments. So it's about like basically ideation and how do you know whether the idea that you're thinking about is the right one for you? So how do you guys think about ideation? Yeah, feel free to jump in. On that previous mic before we get to that. Um, I broadly agree with the three of you, but there's one slight clarity modification I'd like to make is that it's not necessarily investing in a person, it's the team. 80 to 90% of startups fail, depending on which stats you're looking at. And I agree that it's the dynamic between the people, but it's never, as founders, you can be like, it's my company, it's my baby, it's me. It's, no, it's how you fit with other people. And the founders falling out is a very common reason. I've heard people quip along the lines of, you know, it's easier to get out of a marriage than it is to get out of a, a founder's relationship with you have with somebody. So pick the people that you're working with well and accept at some point you're going to fall out with them, but it's what you do then. Within the, the conversation that I think is very important for people is familiarity is quite important when you're raising cash. So the, you know, 
half the time an investor will say, oh, this is the wrong stage, it's too early for me. That's just an easy way for them to say no. But if you keep the conversation going, because if you can show to them that you've done, you, you turn up on day one and you say, I'm going to do this in the next six months. And they go, that's nice, fine. And you come back six months later and we're like, you know, I said I was going to do the last six months. I've done it and then some. Here's what I'm going to do for the next six months, 12 months, whatever your time period is. And they go, oh, okay, cool. They told me they were going to do that. They did do it. So I believe they're going to do this bit next. So it's, Carl mentioned it earlier in terms of story building, but the, the timeline element of it is quite important. If you can show to them that um, you deliver, then that is a really important part as well. And let's jump back into the um, ideation piece now with Lalit and also to everyone listening. We'd love to hear more of your questions and sort of feel those. You know, I understand that founder chat can get boring sometimes. So um, feel free to shoot those across. Yeah, on ideation, I think like one of the uh, most interesting things that someone told me was Raf uh, from Project Access way back when, like two and a half years ago, he was COO and I was doing the head of India role over there, trying to bridge education and equality. He was like, and I had this idea at the time for a sustainable fashion company, obviously failed. As you can see, I'm not the most fashionable person in the world. But like, yeah, it, what happened was that he, he was like, sleep on it. And I think that's been one of the most valuable uh, pieces of advice I've received. Because sometimes we get so excited and like we just run headfirst into it. But like, it's important to think about it for a minute. And the best way to actually do that is over of one, one sleep, I guess. So that's the way I think about that. What do you guys think about other better ideation practices, of course? I have, I completely agree. It's good to those practices. I think when it comes to venture building, the idea that you have at the beginning will change, like inevitably. I can't think of one founder who started a business and it looks identical to their first idea at the end or, at, you know, at per perpetuity. The great story I always reference is Shopify where the two founders were like, let's start a snowboarding shop. And now it's the world's greatest e-commerce platform. And it just kind of shows that they were dogged around their determination to build um, a team around them and to enjoy the journey. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that, which is actually, you know, building the team around you that you have fun with. It doesn't actually matter the idea so much. As long as you have an objective, it's clear and you don't lose focus and context switch too much. I think if you find a team that you enjoy working with, you'll achieve great things. And that for me has been the biggest learning. And it's from those people that the best ideas come, not necessarily you sat kind of doing your coffee pot ideation every morning, which I tried. And eventually I just realized I have shit ideas. I mean, here I am in a laundry and dry cleaning company, right? <laughs> so yeah, source the ideas from people that you love working with around you would be my advice. Just wanted to jump in and add, I know it can be a bit confusing because we have some questions in the chat and then there's a separate Q&A area. So the last 15 minutes, there were quite a few questions um, that have been dropped in. So can you see them, Joel? If you go under stage, there's chat polls and Q&A. Yes. Oh, oops. <laughs> Back over to you. No, go for it. Okay. Wow. Loving the comments, guys. Male payments still. Joel, you're quite the hit with the, with, with, with the, with the crowd. So, okay, cool. It's not my original quote, but uh, yeah, it's, it's something you <laughs> You've officially been quoted right now, but good luck. Someone's going to post that on LinkedIn later today. I was on the panel and then <laughs> Jorgen said this. But anyways, what do you think are the most high yield social events, activities at university where you've got high chance to get recruited, meet co-founders? Wow, that's, that's a brilliant one. Always hackathons. Hmm. I actually disagree. So I feel like hackathon, hackathons are great, but... At certain universities, <coughs> Imperial, uh, like 
I find that, you know, they just like, like to do it for the hustle of the 48 hours. And then after that, they just don't follow through a lot of them. So it's like, like they want to take the feeling of the risk, but like not, not really follow through with that. So there's like scene stars and like people that actually want to build, right? So I, I don't know, like they're definitely an entrepreneurial crowd, but with respect to meeting co-founders, like guys, please be careful with this thing. Like you have no idea the kind of sharks that swim in our ocean. <laughs> so yeah, please be careful with these kind of things. Like I think that people can always have the positive signals in the context of, oh, I have X brand, I have done these things and like have this degree. But like reality is like they're not, their titles are not how they work. And like, you know, just be wary of that and always make sure, please, four-year vesting period, one-year cliff, absolutely mandatory i don't care if they're your best friend or your mother like you know just just make sure you have that in place anyways i was gonna mention the point about investing for uh, those that aren't familiar with it a there's probably something to look up but basically the idea the sh you don't get your shares at the start you get them drip fed over time and the concept of a cliff is that no one gets any shares for the first 12 months uh, and I could not agree more with that. Um, exactly, best friend, mother, it doesn't matter. Like, sometimes it doesn't have to be bad. Life happens, you know, family, move country, children, whatever it is, but they're still not working on the business. And if they own X percent of it, that will hamstring you later. Like I said, the first company I got involved was called Simprints. And that actually was formed out of a, a business competition at uni or whatever. And they did, they split the company five ways. One of the founders walked and insisted on keeping their share. Thankfully, they hadn't done anything. So they just dissolved it and started again. But over the 12 months I was working with them, there was one share worth one pound owned by one person. And then there was a core of us that kind of just worked the entire time. There are people that flitted in, that were there for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. They promised the world. Sometimes they delivered, you know, a thing, a project, a little presentation or whatever. But then they went off and did other stuff because they had other plans in their life. And it was really interesting to that was one of the biggest things I learned over that year that the core five of us that just were happy to put in all the time. And even though we had, what we had was trust. And that is something that is very hard to find, but very important to have with your co-founders. There was nothing contractual. There was no ownership. There was nothing that we had to you know, follow through for us, but we believed that he would. And so we gave our time and effort and energy. And so when the company did eventually get Gates money and things like that, it was that group of people that became the founders. The whereas it was all the people that sort of came in and promised the world were were not. On the ideation point, a quick one is product market fit, human centered design, whichever school you want to you know learn from in that. But just because you've built something really cool doesn't mean that people will want to use it. Speak to potential users and things like that is really really important within the idea side. But ideas change as well. Okay, awesome. Sorry, I'm going to have to jump in here now. I'm conscious of time. So the way I'm going to do this is shoot one question at one person and then you guys can like rapid fire answer. I'm going to let Kyle, I think you should take this. What's your experience with the effect of running a business alongside university slash PhD on your mental health since I imagine it must be a lot of stress? For me, I used to go and beat people up and that was my coping mechanism. I, I used to play rugby and I got really good at playing rugby because I was so stressed <laughs> with running Oxford. And before that, I was really fat and shit. So that was my kind of vent. But in all seriousness, find a release mechanism, a pressure valve that you can open at will, you know, whether that's hopefully not drugs, but you know, seeing friends, going to get some fresh air. Nature is one that I think a lot of people 
do that they don't realize they're doing just going for a walk with a latte around the park nearby those kind of things really really I wouldn't recommend starting a venture whilst doing a PhD it was incredibly stressful I'll be completely honest and don't quote me on this but at one time I also tried a study drug because I was so like burnt out trying to run the business and do my PhD write up at the same time didn't help obviously it was a really bad mistake but I only made that bad decision because I put myself under so much pressure and I would just say don't get that far try to stagger things and you know there's nothing wrong with taking a bit of a break after studying to think and to make decisions it's not a rush you know do think it through Joel to your point and don't jump into things without a little bit of a pause or you might make a mistake like Absolutely. I did. Okay, I'm going to ask Ahana this question because I know she's super um, transparent about talking about all this. Can you tell us about some of the tough periods? We hear a lot about the highs, but it's important to talk about and destigmatize the lows too. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I don't have enough time to talk about <laughs> the low periods. I mean, there's, I, I think the, the way I see it is there will always be things that are going well and always things that, that are not. Even, you know, but there's always new problems. And I think the problems as you grow as a company and as a person, the numbers just get bigger, whether that's time or money involved. But I think, you know, you experience a lot of challenges that I don't think you would get in a regular job or if you were to go down a grad scheme route because when you found a startup there are so many more things that you need to take into consideration i think we touched on it before but team is a huge one i think most founders i've spoken to have had some some interesting experience regarding team and those can be really really difficult personally because i think especially when you're a young founder, you've come out of university, you haven't had to navigate a personal relationship in the way that you have with a co-founder. And, and it really is worse than a marriage. Like you can't, you can't leave it in the same way as you can with a marriage. So you have to make sure that you are extremely transparent with your conversations with your co-founder. And sometimes that can be hard. Sometimes that means you say things that hurt you to say as a friend. Sometimes that means that people that you trusted, you find out that you couldn't trust, which is where vesting comes into it, which, you know, I made the mistake and it burned me. And that was really hard, you know, when people, the, I think the emotional and psychological effects can be very difficult, whether that's team related, whether that's fundraising related, whether that's just sort of like work-life balance, like health related. There are so many different lows that oftentimes I think something that founders aren't actually great at and that I've been talking a lot about recently is actually celebrating the wins because there's always going to be a new problem that you can solve and that you need to, to attack. And sometimes it can really affect you. But what you the, the only thing that you can control is how you respond to a situation. You can't control the outcome of what's going to happen. And I think that's been crucial for me in navigating the lows is that the only thing I can control is my reaction to a situation. And so it's about getting better and not getting flustered when something goes wrong or when I'm feeling really down about something. I just remember that this situation is entirely in my control and remembering that you have that autonomy. And that's one of the best things about being a startup founder is that no matter how much you feel like things are happening to you, at the end of the day, there's always something that you can try and that you can do. And I think that kind of mindset has just helped me navigate that. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is also just trying to gain perspective on it. You know, when, you know, let's say an investor, I've had some pretty rude past emails. Someone said, you know, oh, you're, you're too young and inexperienced to do this. I think you should find someone who's got more experience than you. 
which I thought was a pretty rude way to to, to respond to to a pitch. And I thought he liked the advert. Anyway, I was I was pretty upset with that. But then I thought, well, you know what? At the end of the day, whether investors pass or not, I get this opportunity at this age, at this stage in my career to start making a name for myself as a founder. How many jobs are there where I could be talking to these kinds of people on a daily basis, talking to so many amazing founders, amazing investors, not all of them are bad there are some fantastic people having the freedom to build exactly what i want talking to customers in a space that i care about this is my dream job and i am so fortunate to have it and i think when i just remember that that okay an investor passed on me but the alternative would have been that i wouldn't have ever even met an investor because i'd have no company to raise for i think that sort of mindset as well of just being able to zoom out for a second which is easier said than done has also helped me get through some of the the lows yeah absolutely i love that i think that what you said about sort of getting flustered in the moment and like you know being able to zoom out i think that's possibly the most important advice because as a as a as a founder you feel the world of the weight on your shoulders even though like in reality we are all responsible for our own little you know chunks of the world right i think that being able to look at decisions that you have to make now in retrospect is a really cool way of thinking about things so how will this decision or how will this moment that's like really bogging me down, like, you know, impact me like three years or five years down from life? And I'm not saying like it's easy to do that every single time, but I just think that a lot of these things are like a lot of the people that cause these kind of stresses, especially in my opinion, are just like, you know, in it for the flashy bits of this journey and they will get weeded out, like absolutely will. So yeah, the tough ones really do stick around and, and you can see them like in this panel here. Like it's not it's not easy to do what what all of them uh, but yeah, Trolian, I'm gonna jump to you before we wrap up kind of with like one piece of update from each company and then we'll just go from there. So what advice do you have for a final year who wants to get into a startup biotech is this person's area, but doesn't have a PhD slash immediate idea to get my point to that is that most um, companies have two, three, four founders. They only have one idea. So at some majority of people that are founders, it wasn't their idea. So find somebody that's got one. They will need people to work with. If you've got an idea yourself, awesome, great. You know, build your own company, but don't fret if you don't. You can still enter this wonderful thing that Anna has been describing. And I completely agree with what she was saying. You also mentioned the question, you know, you don't have a PhD. The, there's a lot of cool things that you can do that you don't need a PhD for. We've got some great people in the school that is, frankly, I did my PhD as much as anything because I really enjoyed being a student and I wanted to carry on doing that. It so happened to lead into this, that, and the other, and that's great, but it's not the be all and end all. Don't worry about it. The, yeah. So that'll be my brief advice. And I think like, you know, so I don't know how you guys have been talking to investors. I've spoken to folks across the globally, and I find credentialism a thing that is very common in our beautiful UK market. And like, they love to say that you don't have a PhD or like you're not experienced enough in this kind of stuff. And they don't necessarily always get behind ambitious and like hardworking founders. So yeah, like I think sometimes it's important to think who, which is the market that you're talking to as well, especially when you've got like, a game-changing idea that's not to say all the ideas you have will be game-changing either but like yeah so that's that's kind of a two cents to leave you with like you know don't always think that i need to have you know this is the thinking that i never understood like you have to have two years in ib then you have to do one year in pe and then after that you have to go into something else like you know to make it 
you can do it like you know today you don't have to take years to break into vc if you grind your way through those networks and things like that now you can absolutely get there i know so many amazing people that have done like internships or part-time jobs while um, at university and then broke into vc straight out of university like it's not i just think that there's no like linear pathway to all the careers and like that's not the case anymore at least so yeah i think there's a lot more to be explored there but yeah i'm i'm very of time so with each of you i would love to hear one thing that you're looking forward to and one piece of advice that you'd leave our panelists and the forward to can be with your company obviously so like yeah feel free happy to quickly do mine we've just Close our Series B, that process took, it, raising money always takes longer than you think, six, 12 months in some cases, which means we now have runway for a few years. We can actually, I'm looking forward to actually doing my job instead of fundraising because fundraising was my job for quite a long time. And then in terms of advice, back to yourself, but it's the sustainability piece I built up. I, I mentioned earlier, sorry, I nearly flamed out of university twice for mental health reasons with burnout. Like it's nothing is worth that. So build something that's sustainable for yourself. And as I believe the only person in the school that has a PhD, it does not mean you are smarter. It means that you put up with a particular shade of bullshit for three years. That's what a PhD is. Let second that. Unfortunately, better go into the fundraising furnace again. So <laughs> Dolly and you and I are exchanging places, but hopefully after that we'll be expanding nationwide and then into the North American market, which is really exciting. And I think my one piece of advice would be that you spend most of your waking life working. You know, don't sacrifice working for something you don't believe in. I think there's so many people that I've met, friends included and family members that work just for the weekends and it's just completely old-fashioned I think find something you love and do it if it doesn't pay incredibly well in the short term that's fine I think job satisfaction you'll see over time is so much more important and I think my update is is similar to, to Jolion's. I'm kind of haven't closed the round, but on the last legs of the fundraise and, and I've set a, a date for it because we've raised sort of the minimum that we need. But an exciting thing that is coming up is we're actually launching a WeFunder campaign to give some of our users the opportunity to invest, you know, really small tickets, getting friends and family also the opportunity as we kind of went institutional first and then, you know, want to, given that we are a community, that's something that we're looking into uh, in the next couple of weeks. So that campaign should be coming out soon. And if you did want to back clear and learn more about our journey, that's something, that's a way that you can get involved. And I think my parting advice would always just be to, to not be afraid of failure because it's inevitable. You will certainly fail at, at many, many different things. But if you don't try, then you're... If your chance of success is 1%, if you don't try it, that goes to zero. And one is infinitely bigger than zero. So just put yourself out there, but then also be honest with yourself. That's not to say that if you're grinding and grinding and it's making you unhappy and you're working 24-7 and it's not for you, also be be honest with yourself. And there's a, there's a fine line between knowing what works for you and, and when something's not working. So I think just try your best, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid of people saying no in whatever context it is, but also be honest with yourself about how much you're enjoying it. And not everyone enjoys putting themselves out there. And it's, I think my one of my biggest learnings is that startups really aren't for everyone. But the only way that you'll know really is, I mean, you can come to talks like this, but you can also try it for yourself. And there's certain traits that I think can, can help you a lot in your journey. And it's also all right if you don't enjoy every part of it and you don't have it. 
but everyone has a different sort of set of skills and, and things that they enjoy and, and dislike. And so just trying to find what that is for you. And, I, and to Kyle's point about just finding something that works for you, find something that you enjoy and that you really want to do. Because when I when I started the, the startup as well, part of me was thinking, oh, should I have done the banking grad jobs instead? Like, should, was it the right decision to turn them down? And I don't mean this in a smug way, but when I talk to my friends who did go down that route, you know, now we're all a year into our jobs. I know that I made the right decision. And it's really hard to think about job satisfaction when you are faced with decisions like that. And as much as you think that money can surpass happiness, the data suggests otherwise. I think when you talk to people and really understand why they make the decisions that they do and how they look back on things, you know, yes, you will earn less money in a startup short term. And for some people, that's okay. For some people, that's not. And it's a privilege to be in a position to, to make that decision. But everyone's path is different. So try things, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen, but also be honest with yourself and whether you're really enjoying uh, what you're doing. And it's okay not to, to love every part of it. Yeah, that's amazing. So I'll wrap it up. I'll start with the advice piece first. I think don't compare yourself and your journey to anybody else's because they're all on different paths and like like sort of a mesh of like what everybody said. Do not be afraid to fail and actually maybe fail fast because like if that if that's what it takes for you to realize what it you know what it means to go from zero to one like you know go there first because like you're gonna have multiple instances of that across your journey and then finally it would be kind of you know, believe in what you're working on. And if you don't find something else to work on, because like, you don't have to like force yourself into this vision of a startup that you once had, like, you know, startup idea you once had just because you've been working on it for months. Because oftentimes you'll find something that is wrong with that. And if you keep going at that path, it's actually more detrimental to your startup's progress than you think. Yeah, uh, like, you know, just, just sort of like, feel free to reach out to, you know, all of us, like, you know, to all, all of the founders on this panel and like, you know, we're here, uh, we've been there and like, you know, obviously do your sort of research um, piece first, but then like on top of that, like, you know, always feel free to ask folks for advice. There's actually more good in the world than we believe. So yeah, that's, that's sort of my uh, final piece of advice. I think that on Crowdpad, we've obviously just got into the OnDeck Accelerator program. I'm hiring for Rust developers and community managers. So like, you know, slide in uh, to the LinkedIn DMs, like if that's you. And yeah, we might do a bridge pre-seed kind of a thing. I'm still unsure about that, but like, you know, we'll see what happens, uh, but exciting few months ahead. Zara, I believe uh, it's my time to hand over the baton back to you. <laughs> yes, this was a really incredible discussion. So thank you so much, Joel, Jolly, Hannah, and Kyle. Fantastic. Thank you for giving up your time to be with us here today.